Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This is part two of a two-part message given by Pastor Eric Ludy at the church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. All right, session two, the wow. So what about the wow? I have just as much as I have a desire for the authenticity of the Holy Spirit and the authenticity of a real work of grace, and I don't want that to be hindered by a false work that is masquerading under the banner of the Holy Spirit, I also have the desire for the Holy Spirit to have full, fluid functionality within his church to do whatever he sees fit to do. So that's where I sound like a walking contradiction. And one message you might hear me showing a great uh, concern for where the church is at and what is being done under the name and under the banner of Jesus Christ in the church. And at the same time, then you hear me the next week and I might say, yes, and uh, we need to show power in the church. Uh, I, and so which one is it, Eric? And I'd say it's both. I want genuine movement of grace. And when it's genuine... The believers recognize it as genuine. We will not be intimidated by it. We will not be scared by it. We might be awestruck and we might be trembling with fear, but we will recognize that it is, in fact, a holy God. When we run into a burning bush and the booming voice of Jehovah comes out of it, we will all bend our knee, remove our shoes, and declare it to be holy ground. However, when you see the fake, many of us struggle because we don't want to diminish something that God is doing, but there's something wrong. I don't know if you've ever sensed that. It's like that stirring inside of you, like, what? I mean, I don't want to quench what God's doing, but what? That doesn't fit the nature of God. And so how do we test things? We're supposed to test the spirits. What do we test them against? Our feelings, our emotions? We test them against the word of God. There was a laughing revival uh, in Canada back uh, when I was a young buck in Christianity, and uh, I ended up following this whole laughing revival. The same guy who started it in Canada, I actually followed him through an Australian tour. So everywhere I went, there was laughing and, and all these things, and I was coming into these churches. So this became a very, very uh, intimate issue for me. I had to address the issue. When I was at a, a church in uh, Michigan, uh, Everyone in the church was going up to Canada and to Toronto, I think is where it was, and they were doing their laughing. And I was the stick in the mud. I was like, I don't know how old I was, 21, uh, 22. I, w- I was young. And I was the stick in the mud. A whole church, and then there's Eric, the stick in the mud. And what, w- and I, what I said is, I, my concern is that it's not biblically congruent. I can only test things by that. I can't test them by feeling. I have to test it by the word of God. And so I, all these people were very concerned about Eric, who wasn't getting touched with the blessing, and who was all concerned over here. And so one of the quotes that they gave me was, lean not on your own understanding. 
That was the quote out of Proverbs 3, which I know that quote, uh, by the way. And so what was really confusing to me is what my statement would have been to them is the exact same scripture. Isn't that what you're doing? Aren't you leaning on your own understanding and saying this is God, but I'm leaning on God's understanding, which is scripture. It's very hard when you start dealing with like slain in the spirit. You guys ever walked, dealt with that issue? Okay, I'm 22 years old trying to deal with slain in the spirit. And all I'm saying is every time in scripture, is this a fair question? Every time in scripture someone encounters the presence of God, they fall flat on their face. And yet now in our modern day, everyone falls backwards. Should I ask a question about it or should I just nod along and say, okay, everything's fine? You follow me? This is the, uh, the problem that Eric Ludi has dealt with for years of my life. I have been around every variety of Christian you can imagine, and I'm usually watched when I'm in those environments. Everyone's wanting to see how I respond to these things. Well, if Eric nods along and says amen, it must be fine. So what do I do? I, I don't want to, don't watch me. I'm trying to figure it out too. Okay, don't watch me. All I want is the real thing. And when the real thing comes, the spirit of God within me will say, amen. Amen. The spirit of God does everything decently and in order. And he doesn't make beasts, laughing hyenas, roaring lions or barking dogs out of his children. He makes princes and princesses of his kingdom. He ennobles us and raises us up to showcase the nature and the behavior and the character of the Most High God. That's one thing I know. And I will fight for such an end in the church of Jesus Christ. But I'm not against the well. When the church is the church, behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That's the same Bible that I say I believe. And I'm not going to parse it out and say, oh, I don't accept this portion, I accept this portion. The whole Bible is the rule. What it says goes in my life. What it says goes in this church, even if it makes some of us uncomfortable. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also. Whoa. And greater works than these shall he do? Why, Jesus? Because I go unto my Father. What does that have to do with it? Because when he goes unto the Father, he's going to give us the Holy Spirit. Now, for those of you that have been in the super conservative side of Christianity, we, will, we stay away from these types of scriptures. And I'm saying, embrace this. The wow that God must bring in the world is his business. Your job is to celebrate the mundane and to allow him to bring out glory in and through it. But God's business is showcasing his glory in and through our willingness as vessels. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues, and they shall take up serpents, and if they drink in in any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. That sound like a Pentecostal church, or am I imagining things? That's the church. Not a Pentecostal church, that's the church. Now, I have no interest in going out and being a snake handler. Have you ever heard of them? They handle snakes to prove uh, Mark 16. Or to just say, yeah, give me some poison. I'll drink it. I'm I'm not going out to jump from the top of temples. However, one thing I know is there is nothing in this natural realm that can hinder the calling of God upon my life. All things are under his feet, including this natural realm, including all spiritual powers and forces that would try and stop the church triumphant. 
We march forward and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. And the only way that can be done is with power. Dunamis power. Exousia power. What is the authority that is legal? And God says, you've been given it. You're my sons and daughters. Walk in the authority of my name. The other is the strength of an army. Dunamis power. And we have been given both in the kingdom of heaven. And without You cannot live this life as a Christian, and we will fail as the church in this hour. So, don't pick and choose your truths out of Scripture. We believe the record. And what it says the church is supposed to do, we fully expect to do it. The redeemed of the Lord, they're the water-walking, mountain-moving, storm-calming, body-transporting, bread-multiplying, dead-raising treasure of Jehovah. They always have been, they always will be. David and the wow. So let's go back in time to David the shepherd boy. David the shepherd boy had some serious wow in his life. However, where did the wow come from? Step one, deep humility. Life in the mundane work of grace. And for the students at Ellerslie, we'll be going through David's life very exhaustively. And we'll walk through each of these awkward steps. He's the eighth son of a shepherding family, which means he's the shepherd. The lowest position in society. Guess who got it? Old David, little David, young David. How could I say it? Deep humility, life in the mundane work of grace. What's preparing him? Step two, deep humility, life in the mundane work of grace. Step three, deep humility, life in the mundane work of grace. I could break out each one of these into actual stories in David's life. Not being chosen to even come when Samuel the prophet shows up for the king inauguration ceremony and David isn't even told about it. He isn't even invited to the party. It's like, excuse me, you know how many times this guy was overlooked? You know that even after he's anointed king, he's sent back to the sheep? You know that he's actually called upon to play the harp to soothe Saul who's sitting in his throne? And yet the guy took the low position and played the harp and had spears thrown at him. And he did it humbly. And then when the battle comes and all the men of Israel are called to war, who's the greatest warrior in Israel? This little shepherd boy. And what's he asked to do by his father? David, uh, could, you, could you tend to the sheep? Father, I've been anointed king. Uh, I, I actually should be leading the army into battle. David, could you tend to the sheep? Are you tending to the sheep right now, or are you itching for the throne? You see, God may have a higher calling on your life, and there's a greater wow that God wants to work out of your existence, but it will not be ever seen unless you accept the sheep now. This is the season to accept the sheep herding, to accept the harp playing, to accept the javelins and the spears, and to recognize that God is preparing you for something greater. Step four, five, six, and seven. In the Hebrew culture, that's the number of completion. Only God knows when, that's that, when that is for us. If you start counting your humiliations, it might go higher than seven, by the way, before the wow comes. But seven is a number of completion. When that work has come of deep humility, life in the mundane work of grace, step eight, the wow comes. And it's not something that you cultivate. It's not something that you set up. You are asked on the final step of deep humiliation to deliver bread and cheese to the armies. Not to go fight, but to deliver bread and cheese. Yes, Father. He is at the end of himself. There's nothing left. He's, he's 
merely a courier of information, though he's anointed king. And what does he see? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would dare blaspheme the armies of the living God? Guess who is prepared? Guess who has fought with lion and bear before that day? Guess who in the work of the mundane aspects of shepherding is ready for the grand calling upon his life? But a guy named David. Hudson's yearning. So let's just imagine uh, that Hudson has a desire. Whether or not he's ever thought these thoughts, I don't know. If I really am the son of Eric Ludi, and it's true that I have the DNA for full and complete manhood, then it's just reasonable. Think about it. This is just logical. If he has my DNA, if he's my son, then I should be six foot one. I should be at least 170 pounds. I should be able to get married and have kids. I should be able to drive a car. I should be able to drive the riding lawnmower. I should be able to climb up on the roof and clear out the gutters. I should be able to get on a plane all by myself and fly around the world. I should be able to define my own schedule. I should be able to preach the sermon this upcoming Sunday. I should be able to take over at Ellerslie and run it. It's only reasonable. It's only a reasonable thought process. The yearning for growth. So how do we as a church think? If we really are the church of Jesus Christ, if we really are born anew, if we really do have his DNA, if we really do have access under the throne of grace for everything we could possibly need for life and godliness, if we should be greeting each other with a holy kiss, Speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, despising not prophecy, all coming to the service with a song, a hymn, or a spiritual song, functioning the gifts of the Spirit, demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit, commanding lame people to walk, blind people to see, dead people to come forth from their graves, casting out demons, drinking poison unaffected, walking on water, commanding mountains to be thrown into the sea, multiplying fishes and loaves, and feeding thousands, calming winds and waves, and body transporting from here to there. Whew! All right. What's wrong with us? Is something wrong with Hudson? No. He needs to understand that there is a preparation season for the wow. He needs to recognize that for daddy to entrust him with the riding lawnmower, for daddy to entrust him with Ellerslie and say, son, it's yours now. There are stages of growth that are requisite before greater entrustment of authority is given. We as the church of Jesus Christ are moaning and groaning that we are not like the book of Acts. And yet, we are unwilling to put into practice the power that we have been entrusted. We've been given a talent, and then we bury it because we're waiting for 10. You take that one talent that you've been given and you invest it. And you invest it even in mundane little businesses. And you allow that one to grow into the 10. That's how the grace of God works. And when God sees that you've been faithful with your one, he will say, now have authority over ten cities. You see, greater authority comes with proving faithful with little. Normal child growth. So this might not be fully accurate. For the moms that are dealing with young kids right now, you could correct this list. But this is like an Eric Ludy guess. A six-week-old child can smile. An eight-week-old child can sleep through the night. So you're like, no, no, it doesn't work that way. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, that's supposedly how, it's, how it works. A five to six month old child can begin to eat solids. A six to 12 month old child can crawl. A 10 to 12 month child can toddle. A one year old child can talk in fragmented words. A two year old child can talk in partial sentences. So you see, this is, this is just normal child development. And I want to emphasize the term normal. We are not normal. You see, a normal child would grow up and be healthy. We are 
not healthy. We did not pop out of the womb properly. Something is off in the modern church here in America. We're going to call it stunted child growth. Well, what's a stunted child? A child born prematurely? A child born with fetal alcohol syndrome? A child shaken? A child born with certain limbs, without certain limbs? A child born with mental retardation? A child born with cerebral palsy? A child born with Down syndrome? Each of those would indicate a sign that there is going to be a different developmental process. And a parent that has a child with any of those stuntings recognizes that. And so therefore, just as I have an expectation of my toddler to be a toddler and to be an obedient toddler and to do as a toddler ought, the same thing is true for any parent that has a stunted child, which means it doesn't mean their child is less valuable. It means that there is a different growth process. They're equally as valuable as a child without a stunting, but it is to be understood that such children will face certain developmental delays. The developmentally delayed. If a child is born with retardation, you don't panic when at six weeks he doesn't smile. You understand that his smile may emerge a bit later. He may not be crawling at the normal time nor walking at the expected month. His delay does not show a lack of development, but merely a slower development. We are the developmentally delayed. Now, you might take offense to that and say, excuse me, maybe you are, Eric, but not me. I'm saying as a church, we have been harmed in coming out of the womb. We, many of us, are scared to death of certain passages of Scripture. We've seen the abuse, and that's all we've seen. Many of us have actually come very close, if not all the way, to throwing out Christianity, not because of Christ, but because of his followers. We have inherited a very, very difficult birth process. And as a result, many of us are stunted, and as a whole, I would say we are stunted. And so we represent here at Ellerson, not a denomination. We don't come from one slant of denominational vantage point. So as a result, we're every conceivable bias when it comes to conservative Christianity. We all believe the word of God is the word of God, but we might all start in a different spot of reasoning it out. And as a result, we make for a very, very unique test case for a message like this. I bring up the first one, and some of you are like, amen. Kick all those people that are trying to raise dead people. I mean, put them in their place, Lodi. And then you get to the wow, you're like, what? And all the other people are like, yeah, amen. Let's get the wow back. We should all be on the same page. All of us want the full glory of Jesus Christ no matter what it takes, no matter what it costs us, no matter how uncomfortable it may be. I expect to die a martyr. I understand it will cost me everything for the glory of God in this generation. So am I willing to get a little uncomfortable with something called the Holy Spirit? You better believe it, I am. Do what you want in this body. It belongs to you. Not just this body, this body. Whatever he wants to do, he can do. You can put that as a quote. That is the principle. Now, will Eric Ludy get in the way? At times? Possibly. Because Eric Ludy can get uncomfortable just like the rest of you. And when God's doing something, I might find myself hedging, putting my, my heels in the ground. But he's very faithful to convict me and say, Eric, I thought you said whatever I could do, I could do. Well, yeah, that's right. We are the developmentally delayed, the story of the modern believer. Many of us have only known abuses of power. Our constructs of the Holy Spirit are warped. Our notions of tongues is deranged, fleshly, artificial, and awkward. 
The idea of hearing the voice of God is untempered and unchecked, and we are unable to discern between the voice of God, the voice of the flesh, and the voice of the devil. The concept of divine healing is scary and weird to some of us, while to others it is embraced blindly without full understanding or restraint of Scripture. The ideas of signs and wonders have split the body of Christ, and we are stunted children that have suffered because of it. We have those who run after the power and accept counterfeit and fleshly substitutes to the real thing, and those who deny that power was ever intended by God to ever even be given to the church. Would you blame us if we were a little gun-shy on these issues? You see, there's something that has caused us to pull back at either side of the occasion. I mean, when you talk about the wow, there's certain people that naturally gravitate to that discussion and say, amen. When you talk about diminishing the wow and starting with the most basic aspects of a changed life, there's other people in here that are like, amen. And I'm saying, let's amen both of them. There's no reason to amen part of this message. You might as well amen the whole thing. We have a truth that is laid out in Scripture of how the church must be constructed. And when it is constructed properly, the world will see and behold the majesty of Jesus Christ. So how do we become an empowered church once again? We must prove faithful with little. Then we will be entrusted with more. My concern with our body is that we're not proving faithful with little. I'm not saying we don't know the truth. You guys in here are more well-groomed biblically than most churches on planet Earth. And yet, we know to pray, but are we praying? I mean, I just had the, the early morning prayer was over at the East End, and there were, you know, I don't know what, three, four families there, which is really amazing. I would love to see our whole church migrate from one building to this one. Now, that's not to put any pressure. Some of you have young kids. It's just impractical. So it's, I know how these things work. But I want to be a praying church. If we aren't a praying church, we're not going to be an empowered church. And if you want the real sort of power, you need the real sort of praying. So let's get back to the basics. Are you living a life of devotion with God as an individual? What's your prayer life like? Do you worship God anywhere outside of here? Because your life should be a worship unto him. How do your individual relationships work with your spouse, with your family members, with your children, with your brothers and sisters? Are you showcasing Jesus in those? Because this is where the power is first proven. God's saying, right here, this is the sheep I need you to shepherd right now. But God, I'm anointed for something greater. I'm a Christian. Yeah, and right now I want you to love your brother as I would love your brother. Right now I want you to forgive your father as I forgave you. Right now, it's the basics. And if you don't handle the talent of gold that he's given you and you bury that, then don't expect more. You will not be put over 10 cities. God has given us what we need to take the next steps as children. Let's take that and invest it. We must live large in the mundane moments. You ever thought of doing that? It's like giving 100% of everything that God has put in you into one singular conversation. When you walk into the kitchen and there is your mom working hard, on a meal, that you say, 100% of the grace I have. And you walk right up to your mom and give her a bear hug and say, Mom, I have, I'm the most blessed kid on planet Earth. And she goes, why? Because I have you as my mom. And I love your cooking. And your mom will beam and, see, that's the mundane stuff. It's small potatoes, yes. No one in the world may ever know about it. No one may ever talk about it. It might not end up in any books, any movies, any scripts, anything. And yet, you're living life large. 
You're living it with the fullness of Jesus Christ in the small moments. Are we willing to live life large in the mundane when no one is looking, when no one will ever know, when no one can applaud us, when it doesn't seem very impressive or grand, when the wow seems so very far away? We must live large in such moments as if the entire world hinged on our obedience in that singular moment. Could you imagine if you lived that way? As if the entire world hinged on your obedience in that one moment. You know what to do. See, most of us are waiting till we reach the concentration camp to rise up and be a Betsy Ten Boom. When in fact, right now, in your own home, in your own life, you can rise up and show a love that is supernatural. You have it. You've been entrusted with this grace. If you're in Christ Jesus, you have power. It might be a little, but you have power. Don't neglect it because you're waiting for something bigger to come. Invest it. Use it. Growth is as growth is. It is marked by stages, gradients, and degrees. As a church, we can't skip stages and steps. You know, if the Spirit of God came upon this community the way that it came upon uh, the Wales and during the Welsh revival, I don't know that we as a church would be ready. Now, obviously God can make us ready, but that's my point. My point is, what if we had 10,000 people standing outside right now wanting to hear the truth of the gospel? Wanting something, but not knowing where else to get it. Of course, we could say, go home and watch it on simulcast. However, they need to be discipled. Guess who needs to disciple them? You guys. <laughs> are, are you ready for this? Have you been faithful with the sheep so that when it's your time to stand against Goliath, you're ready? Don't lean on my study. Don't lean on my spiritual walk, on my praying. You have to take the talent. You have to invest it in your life. Don't live in and through a leader or someone around you, your parents. It's like, well, my parents are serious about Jesus. Therefore, I have their last name. I must be serious too. That's not how it works. Each of us is going to be measured. Each of us must grow. Each of us has been entrusted with grace. Invest it. God is proving us on the lion and the bear. We're often staring ahead, wanting to tackle Goliath. Oh, for the day when I can take on a Goliath in front of a whole bunch of people and they could be impressed. That day won't come, and you won't be ready for it even if it does, unless you handle the lion the bear in the privacy of your own life well. A change in perspective. In God's economy, the mundane is actually marvelous. If you look at his dictionary and you look up the word mundane, it would say marvelous right next to it. These are the marvelous moments in your life. But they're so boring. This is when God will show himself. It doesn't seem like anything's happening in my life. Oh, this is the theater. This is the thoroughfare. This is the stage for God's presence. Right here, right now. Allow that sheep tending to be his stage. God wants to do something great in and through your life. But allow that great to be redefined to be simple, small steps forward of growth. You take what you know to do today, and you do it. And you do it with all the gusto, as if the entire world hinged on your obedience in that moment. You ever heard the word normative? It's one of those, like it could just be normal. I could just write the word normal, but that wouldn't sound as intelligent. So very intelligent theologians will use the word normative. So I'm going to use it now just to sort of throw you off, make you think I'm intelligent for a second. It's that which is normal. Wow, that's a shocker. 
that which is always, that which is every day. There's a normative side of life, side of Christianity. For instance, one of the illustrations would be, is it normative for each of us as Christians for every meal to multiply it to feed 5,000 in our neighborhood? Is it normative for us to walk on water? Is it normative that every time someone dies, we raise him from the dead? Is that normative? That's a very important question, actually, because we need to know how we're supposed to be living. So what is the normative? Is it, it is normative to boat across water and not walk across water. I know that sounds very unremarkable, but did you know that it's more normal to boat across water, even as Christians, than it is to walk across water? I'm not saying you can't walk across water. I'm saying that's what's normal. It is normative to feed one person with a few fishes and loaves and not 5,000 people. It is normative that when people die, they um, just die. It is normative to travel from here to there and not be body transported from here to there. It is normal to hike over mountains and not pick them up and throw them into the midst of the sea. So we're going to call it the normal Christian. You see, I don't ever want you to think that I am diminishing any of those supernatural aspects of the Christian life. If I am in a situation where I need to get across that lake for the glory of God, yet there's no way around it except to walk across it, I'll walk across it. That's how the kingdom of heaven works. I will do it. I have the authority in Jesus Christ to do whatever is necessary to fulfill the calling I've received. The normal Christian one who, when he needs to cross water, whether in a boat or walking on it, sings songs of praise the entire time, rapturously in love with his Redeemer. It's not how you cross it, in the sense of walking or boating. It's the attitude in which you do it. You see, the way you cross it, if you're walking across it, or if you're in a boat, actually makes no difference. What shows Christianity isn't the water being cement. What shows Christianity is that the entire journey, you're full of Jesus. You're resembling Jesus. You're rejoicing in Jesus. It's the behavior of the individual mundane tool that God uses in the midst of that journey. It's not the, the water walking or the water boating. It's the individual that shows the glory. Now, it doesn't mean God can't give glory in and through. I mean, he could pick up the boat and throw it, too. That would be just as impressive. Could you imagine that? You sit in a boat and suddenly God goes, hey, I intended you to walk. If you're not going to walk, I'm going to throw this boat to the other side. You're like... One who, when it comes to eating, this is a normal Christian, shows the honorable behavior of heaven in his eating. Whether he is simply eating a meal, giving his meal away, or praying over the meal to see it multiplied to feed 5,000. It makes no difference. You see, it's how we do our eating. Whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God. God doesn't say don't eat or take every one of your meal and give, meals and give it away. God says, in all that you do, give me glory. One utterly convinced, as a normal Christian, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and that death has no sting for those clothed in, G in Christ Jesus. He shrugs his shoulders at death, for his vision is far beyond this temporal vapor. He is caught up in a life that is eternal, not merely measured by the stretch of time this mortal body can last. The normal Christian is one who goes from here to there with the love of Jesus radiating from his face, the gospel emanating from his life and the mercies of Jehovah gushing from his soul. Whether he is body transported or he needs to walk every inch of the territory between here and there in the hot baking sun, no matter, because every inch between here and there, he will see and know Jesus better if he needs to pass through it. Just think, I could be body transported, which would be very economical. I could save a lot of money if I didn't have to pay for gas, didn't have to buy a car, and I could just be transported. However, from here to there, guess what? There's a lot of people that need to know Jesus. And so 
Is God against me walking that in the hot baking sun? Because the whole way in that whole journey, God can reveal his glory. You see, it isn't the wow that we think that God is after. It is the wow of the changed life that matters first. However, if one of us is body transported, I have a hunch every single one of us in here would go, wow. A normal Christian is one who is not intimidated by mountains, one convinced that mountains won't stop his forward progression, and whether that be due to the buoying grace that God supplies for the mountain climb or the mighty power of grace that picks up the mountain and heaves it into the sea, the normal Christian walks forward knowing he will surely make it. Whether I'm supposed to hike over that mountain or whether I'm supposed to call it and throw it in the midst of the sea makes no difference. I have grace for doing either. My whole point is I will make it past that mountain. That mountain will not slow the Christian. The Ellerslie Church and the wow. So that's the big question. What in the world are we supposed to expect here? Step one, deep humility, life in the mundane work of grace. Step two, deep humility, life in the mundane work of grace. Step three, deep humility, life in the mundane work of grace. Step four, five, six, and seven. Deep humility, life in the mundane work of grace. Are we willing to be trained as a shepherd boy for Goliath in this generation? We as a church have been given much. And I pray that we'd be faithful with what we've received. That we would not take it lightly, that we would not bury it and say that's not sufficient, that's not enough. Or to start itching for another church that is walking in some form of power. What we want is genuine authenticity. We want Jesus Christ on Jesus Christ's terms, which means the word of God is our template. The word of God is our testing. That's what we measure every single thing against. And if it fits the measurement, we crown it king. We say, that is my Messiah. When the Holy Spirit moves in our midst, he will show us Jesus. That will be the evidence that he's here. And Jesus will be more clear than we've ever seen him before because that is what the Holy Spirit does. There will be greater conviction of sin. There will be greater purging of our lives. The Holy Spirit is known as the Holy Spirit for a reason. He's not the fun spirit. He's the Holy Spirit. So when he comes, he will purify and sanctify his church. So... Hopefully that's already happening, but when it happens to a greater measure, I have a hunch we'll recognize it because we know Jesus will know the Spirit. Step eight, the wow. The wow comes and the wow always follows those who follow Jesus. You know that I have wow in my life? I do. In fact, I think I have quite a bit of it. But if you were to measure my life, you'd say, so Eric, how many people have you raised from the dead? Zero. In my dream, well, technically, I told the, the elderly guys here, in one of my dreams, I raised a guy from the dead, and it felt like it was real. When I was in my dream, I was like, whoa! So, one. <laughs> However, I have seen God supernaturally underlay my life whenever I have leaned on him, he has come through. His means of doing it are oftentimes very quiet, and I have had to go out of my way to celebrate them. Otherwise, I would just move on without even a thanks. I have been one of the lepers that has been healed. And yet I have to remember to go back unto Jesus, even though everyone else keeps moving on and saying, I notice what you did, Jesus. You see, the world may not take notice of the wow in my life. It makes no difference. I need to take notice of it. Because I am seeing a work of grace in my life, in my marriage, in my family, in my ministry. I have seen supernatural things, things that have no explanation except for God in my life. I don't struggle with faith. 
I don't need a mountain to be picked up and thrown in the midst of the sea. I don't have to walk on water to know my God is faithful and true. However, God is looking for vessels that are willing to walk in faith and let him do whatever he sees fit in and through their lives. And he still has a lot of work to do on me because I still get in the way. I still stand. I mean, even a church, a local church, I've been hurt more by local churches than anything else on planet Earth. So to be a part of this and to move forward with gusto and to put all into it that God gives me is faith. Say, God, I know you need a church. I know you need a body through which to reveal your glory. Therefore, I'm not going to do the Lone Ranger Act. I want you to teach us as a body how to work together to bring glory to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I know that many of us in here have a similar struggle, a similar scrap, a similar fight within our souls. We want you to be glorified, and we don't want to stand in the way, but we also want the real thing. Father, I pray that all that paralyzation that has come over the church and hindered us in the conservative realms from being able and willing to just yield to you and say, whatever you see fit, do it. I pray that that would melt away. And I pray for all that are in here that are more familiar with power and more adept at dealing and walking in it without feeling awkward. I pray that those people would also allow it to penetrate the most practical dimensions of their life. And they would not just expect it in the big. Lord, but that you would take the mundane areas of our life and transform them into pictures of your grace. And I pray that we as a church would be a vehicle through which you would change this world. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to part two of this two-part message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns cheering you on as Christ cultivates his set-apart life within you.